0: I was just thinking of a few thoughts about really the, the sovereignty of God and how the Lord has blessed. And you know, throughout the Bible there'll be many, many things that I not mentioning that you will know, and other parts of Scripture that you will see God's hand and how He has moved and worked with His own people. But I'd just like to bring out a few tonight uh, that has blessed me and as the Lord has given them to me. Uh, they'll be quite simple. And I just pray that you will follow him. It's just to point out God in his sovereignty and how he uses people and how he uses things and how indeed the Lord is in control of all things. And although things might look dark at times and even the land we live in and we don't see the end from the beginning, but God does and he knows all things and works out all things according to his own will just like to turn you to Judges chapter 6, just for a few minutes, and there'll be other portions of Scripture I would like to refer to. But Judges chapter 6, it's very well known, and we'll just read the first few verses together. Judges chapter 6, verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, which are in the mountains, and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till they come on to Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And you know, you can see a terrible situation here for Israel. And if you know, if you read the book of Judges, All three judges, God delivered them, and then they departed again, and then he delivered them and sent another judge, and they departed again in time. And this goes right through the book of Judges. It's so sad reading, and yet it's a wonderful book how God sent different men to deliver them. And as we read here, the Midianites and those sworn enemies of Israel, the Amalekites, come up, and those from the east come up. And took over Israel and greatly impoverished them. And then, then they cried unto the Lord. And isn't it so often the case that when peoples are their backs are against the wall, that they then seek God? Sometimes, not always. Unfortunately, in our land, with so much happening, we don't see our nation seeking God in any way. In fact, if you listen to the news, His name is not mentioned. Sad with our leaders, there, there's no talk of God. But the Lord can change things. The Lord has his wonderful ways of working. But, you know, here God then speaks to a young man, and that, of course, is Gideon. Verse 7, It came to pass when the children cried unto the Lord, because of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet, and he told them, of course, what they had done. That's in verse 7, 8, and 9, and how God had blessed them, delivered them from Egypt, And then they turned away from him again. And the prophet tells him that. And then we see Gideon. Uh, And you see that, verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an opera that pertained unto Joash the Abyssalite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Here's a young man And verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valour. And of course, Gideon asked, asked the Lord, asked the angel, and he said, Well, if the Lord is with us, and we hear all about his miracles, and verse 13, and Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And were we all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And I love this verse, and the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites, have not I sent thee. The Lord saw this young man, a young man that was earnest, a young man indeed that was Belief-seeking after the Lord. But he just wondered, why has all this happened to us? And you know, as the angel spoke to him, the Lord, he said, is with thee. And of course, Israel had departed. But God had his people. And of course, he takes up Gideon. And you'll, you'll read as you go through this chapter. I'm not going to speak in the whole chapter. Gideon, in verse 22, after he had offered up, he brought to an offering. And he put it upon the rock, as the angel said. And then the angel touched it, and fire came out of the rock and burnt up the burnt offering. And then Gideon realized that it was an angel of God. He hadn't realized who he was speaking with. And when Gideon perceived, verse 22, that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. And Gideon builds an altar. Jehovah Shalom. Which means the Lord is peace. And he builds this altar. And then the angel of God tells him. During the night he said. He speaks to him and he tells him to go down. And bring down the altar of Baal. You know there can be no other worship in God's presence. Where the Lord is all idolatry must fall. And he tells young Gideon to take down the altar of Baal. It was his father's altar. And Gideon does that. And it comes down, indeed, and Gideon offers on it a bullock on the altar that he had uh, arisen on a a big rock. And Gideon offers the altar and worships the Lord. And you know the rest? Gideon asks the angel of God, look, he said, if you're really with me, and he puts out the fleece, and you know the story of the fleece. But what I was really seeking to come to was this, and you'll read it, really, in verse chapter 7. You know that God takes Gideon and he says to him, and it's also his name is called Jeroboam. Uh, It was the people called him that because he had cast down the altar of Baal. Chapter 7 and 1, Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Harod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. (coughs) And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. You know, I think it's lovely. You think, if you read in chapter 8, I believe it is, there was 135,000 of the enemy. And here was Gideon. He had 32,000 men. And the Lord says to Gideon, Gideon, your army is too big. If I win this battle, which I will do for you, Israel will think, oh, I've done it by my might. So he says, tell the people, ask them, whoever is fearful, let them go home. And, you know, I was thinking of Gideon. I know if it had been me there, 22,000 left. 22,000 men out of 32,000 went home. (laughs) You were left with 10,000 against 135,000 of an enemy who were all warriors too and then the Lord still tells him Gideon there's still too many and you know you know what happens they're sent down to the water edge and those that lap like a dog bring the water up there are people that are ready they're not burned down drinking the water and they wouldn't see what's going on those that lap like a dog God separated them 300 9,700 the rest went home and the Lord says, By the 300 men I will deliver thee. And you know, it shows us too the sovereignty of God. It shows us that God can use, he can save As Jonathan once said to his armor bearer, the Lord can save by many or by few. And God said, but Gideon, Gideon, I will save Israel by 300 men. And why? Because It's often quoted in a prayer meeting. I know it's one of Peter's favorite ones. Isaiah 42 and 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. And you know that God delivered them. And he delivered indeed Israel that day. And defeated the armies. And at the end of the battle there was 120,000 slain. Who mostly slew themselves after what Gideon done with the 300 men round the camp and the rest he pursued and they were also slaughtered. So Gideon won the day because of the goodness and the sovereignty of God who fought for Israel that day. And you know, I was thinking of other things And second Kings. There's just a few I wanted to point out because to me they're lovely and they show God's ways and God's sovereignty in many ways. God in Second Kings chapter 7, I never cease to love this portion of Scripture. It's the story when <clears throat> the four leper's men were at the gate of Samaria. And, of course, inside Samaria was the famine. They were dying of famine. They could do nothing. And the four leper's men were outside. And what did they say one to another? Verse 4, it tells us, Verse 3 And there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. And you know, here four men, four lepers, despised, unclean. And we know it's like a type of sin. But here they were outside the city. They couldn't go in because they weren't allowed into the city because they were lepers. They stayed outside. But now they were starving like everyone else. And they said to themselves, if we continue to sit here, we'll die. If we do nothing, we'll die. And they realized they had to move. And you know, it's just shows us how God used four lepers to bring to that whole city the new good news. You know the Lord can take up simple things and he does. It wasn't the princes that came out to find out what was going on. It wasn't the king. It was four lepers who, because of hunger, decided to go and throw themselves at the mercy of the Syrians. But ah what happened? And it's lovely. Verse 6 tells us, verse 5, And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. Why? For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel have hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight, left their tents, their horses, and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. What God wrought then, He was fighting for Israel again, for his people alone, they had departed from him. And yet he used these four men Four lepers, four people who no one would have thought of, but Almighty God took them up, and they came, as you know, and they they went in, and they had what we would call a good day. They had a feast, and then, of course, they realized this is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. And, you know, we know ourselves, we've got to make sure we don't hold our peace when we have also good tidings and tell others about the Savior as the Lord gives us witness and grace and may we be faithful or not. But you know, they went back finally, and they told the king, on the on the men in the gate, what had happened, and God had wrought this great deliverance, and the whole place was saved. And the man, of course, in the sort of Genesis chapter seven, the one who laid on the king's shoulder and said, "If the Lord," he sarcastically said, "If God should open the windows of heaven, might this thing be?" And Elisha said, you'll see it with your eyes, but you will not taste thereof. And he was trampled because of the rush for the people to get the food. But God wrought a great victory that day for his people. And all I'm saying is, look at these things. The Lord can do the same today. God is not limited. In 2023, he holds the world in his hands. The nations, the Bible says, are as a drop of a water of a bucket. And the Lord is still the sovereign God. And then, if you just turn back two chapters, we all know it well, and it, it always thrills my soul too. The Little Maid, chapter 5. Uh, now, and now, Naaman, captain of the host, the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, honourable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valour, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And I'm not elaborating on this either. I'm just going through some things quickly. But you know, a little maid carried away from her country, brought into a strange people. But yet God sent her to the, the captain of the army, his wife. She was a servant to Naaman's wife. And she must really have loved that lady and loved Naaman because she had pity in her heart for him. And, you know, some have pointed right before, and rightly so. If it had been you or I, we might have said, Well, boy, well, you deserve all that you get. God's punishing you. You've got leprosy. You'll know it now. But no, in verse 3, she said, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. So God in his sovereignty a little maid carried from her home from her people into a strange country and yet she witnesses to this mighty man a mighty man indeed he was the captain of the general of the army and she told him the good news and you know the story how that indeed the king sent a Naaman to the king of Israel and asked him of course to heal him but it was Elisha that told him what to do but God wrought this victory high through a little maid witnessing. And, you know, you and I must never think that we're, we are nothing, we are nobodies. We're only clay. But, you know, the Lord can use each one of us. And we must always remember this, that God takes the little things for his glory and uses, and he can use each one of us, and he does. There's not one of us can say, there's nothing I can do. The Lord uses His people. We're part of His body, and the hand cannot say to the foot, "I have no need of thee." The eye cannot say to the hand, "I have no need of thee." We're all workers together with for God, and the Lord can use us each one. And then another thing that's very, very simple when you look through the scriptures and see a lot of these things and how God uses simple things. First Kings sixteen. And verses 1 to 6. Then the word of the Lord <clears throat> came to Jeshua the son of Hananiah, against Baisha, saying, For as much I exalted thee out of the dust and made thee prince over my people Israel. I think I've got the wrong chapter here. <laughs> well, the portion I want is this it's the ravens, <clears throat> Elisha. God saves Elijah, rather, and he feeds him by what? The ravens. And he says to Elijah, I will send the ravens. And they brought him food in the morning. And they brought him food at night. Now it shows too, of course, how God controls nature. Who would have thought birds would have brought food to the prophet? But yet the Lord done that. And he brought food to Elisha and Elijah. And he fed him by the using the ravens, the birds. And God can do the same today. He is in control of his creation. Remember the Lord himself even said to Peter one day, go to the sea and the first fish you take up, you'll find the coin in it for you and me for the taxes. God is sovereign. He uses his creation and he can use anything he wants. And here he used the fairy ravens and he says to Elijah, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And they fed him, and they looked after Elijah for as long as the Lord had it planned. So you and I should remember these things. If God can use the ravens, his own creation, he can use anything. And that's where he's sovereign, and that's where, indeed, all majesty and glory belongs to him. And I love this well-known Genesis. I don't think there's a child in our Sunday schools who wouldn't know this. Genesis chapter 40. And it's about Joseph. We all know that. But what happened? You remember Joseph, how he was greatly troubled, greatly persecuted, how his brothers sold him. And then part of his wife lied against him. He was then imprisoned. And then when he was in prison, he told the baker and the butler their dream and interpreted it to them. And then in the end of chapter 40, it says this about Joseph. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. And the one thing Joseph had asked him, he said to him, Look, when you go back to Pharaoh and be restored, as I told you your dream meant, remember me and speak to Pharaoh for me. For he said, I've been put in here wrongfully, and I've done no harm. But verse 23 says, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. You know, I've often thought, if the butler had remembered to tell Pharaoh at that time, and if Pharaoh in his heart had decided to free Joseph, then Joseph could never maybe, in one way, have risen up. But it was two, you'll read in verse chapter 41, it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. So God, in his sovereignty, in his will, had it all planned. After two years, Pharaoh dreamed a dream. And the butler that was in his presence, when nobody could interpret the dream, then the butler remembered Joseph. And he told Pharaoh about the young man in prison who interpreted the dreams of his own and the baker and how the baker was slain and he was set free. And what happens at that very time then, in God's plan, Joseph comes to the fore. All his his troubles at all those years are set free from him. And he's then brought right out into Pharaoh's presence. And you know what happens? He's made the prime minister of the country. And the Lord has raised him up as God had vowed to do and was planning to do. And indeed, foretold even through Joseph's dreams before. And God brought him when? Just at the right time. Just when Pharaoh dreamed a dream that nobody could interpret, but Joseph could, by the grace and wisdom of God. And it's good to know that God has his ways and his moments. He's never too late, and he's never too early. Someone once pointed out, you never read in the Scriptures about the Lord Jesus Christ running. He was always in time. He was never behind. He was never before. He was always in time. And the Lord had everything planned at all times. And then, very briefly too, Acts 23 Again, something so simple that the Lord uses. Acts 23 and verse 16. And, of course, it's Paul's nephew. Acts 23, 16. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, that was a man who would promised they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Now, you know, what I often wonder if they'd kept their promise, they'd all been dead, but of course they didn't because they never got Paul. But this young boy heard, he heard their threats and what they were going to do and their plans to destroy Paul. And he came, it was his uncle, Uncle Paul, and he came and told Paul. And Paul told him to go, called the centurion and said, take this young man to the chief captain. He's very important news. And you know what happened? Paul then was taken, and the men never got him. They were not able to destroy him. Yet God, in his sovereign will, who did he use? A little boy. A boy who had heard that they were going to kill his uncle. And he came to Paul and told him. And then the young man was sent to the chief captain. And then the chief captain, he acted very quickly and got Paul out of the road quickly so they could never slay him So God uses wonderful people, things that are simple lepers, Gideon, a mighty young man to the young the young maid, a little boy the ravens, and he can use you and I, and he does, thank God. Now finally, God gave of course his son. And you know you know yourself when near the end when the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross to his disciples, it all looked like a failure because they didn't yet believe all that he'd said was going to happen. And to them, even at the cross, when they were scattered, to them it looked like a failure. But there was no failure with Christ. God's will was complete in his Son. And the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, went all the way. And you know, you read in John 19 and verse 30, on the cross he cries, It is finished. And the Lord finished the work. That the Father had told him to do. And Calvary was complete. To everyone else, when they seen him die, they thought it was over, finished. But no, it was only starting. When the Lord cried that it is finished, He'd finished the work that the Father gave him to do. He had completed our salvation. The atonement was made. The veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. And Christ, thank God, was victorious. And that great. Verse in Hebrews then, But this man, after he had offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And we thank God that that is true in the Lord Jesus Christ. and all the Gospels, it shows the completeness of his work. He finished it, what the Father had given him to do. And that's great news for us, for we're all saved because of him. And then just going through history very briefly, remember the Reformation? how God used and moved mightily there over centuries. Used great men, Luther, Kelvin, Swigley and others. And then Knox, Tyndale. And then Wesley and the Whitfield, Spurgeon. And he's not finished yet. The Lord's uh, still working today. In other nations maybe that we don't see things, but the Lord works on. And he will fulfill his will. And he will continue to use us as people. And take up sometimes strange things to do as well. And I think we should pray much that in these days God will indeed show his hand and reveal more and more of the things of God and trust the Lord that he will yet deliver this nation. He's able to do it and I believe it with all my heart. I do believe sincerely that there are better days ahead and we pray that the Lord indeed will come mightily in power again and even send a great revival to Britain. God can do it. The land is far away, but I take courage in this, that in days gone by, centuries gone by, when you read of ministers and all out doing sports on the Lord's Day and everything carried away, supposed to be godly people, but they'd gone away from God. You know, the Lord is able to send an awakening again. He's still the same, and he changes not. And I hope... These two things are an encouragement. There's many more that you know of in the Scripture, but I thought these would be at least an encouragement to us all. Now, just before we get down to prayer, Dr. Brown, of course, is in Randallstown on the Lord's Day, and Gary Goods is here in the martyrs. The change is simply because all the ministers down at the week of prayer, they don't always have time to study for their own people, so at least they can go to the other churches and uh, Dr. Brown is to say, we'll be in Randallstown. Do remember him, please, and remember brother, Gary Goods as he comes on the Lord's Day. <clears throat> now, I ask you two to remember, uh, we've prayed for this wee one before. Heather asked me tonight to remember, she's the two-year-old girl, uh, Amaria, I think it's pronounced, or Amura. She had an operation, went well, but part on the back of the child's head is not healing, and the mother's very concerned And Heather asks us, please, to pray for the little one that the Lord would touch the head. And this part in the back of the head is not healing, that the Lord would heal the child. And that's, please, her prayer requests. Also heard her brother, Eric Smith, is in hospital. I believe he had a heart attack. But I heard, too, this morning that I think he's going to get stints in. So that's good news. And he hopes to have got that today. But do pray for him, please. And then... Some of you would have remembered from years back Paul White. He lived in Ravenhills Gardens. He came here many years ago. It hasn't been for a long time, but Paul was found dead in his home uh, a few days ago. I think he had been lying for a while. So do you remember the family? He has a brother uh, who was Chucky White, I didn't realise that. And he also has a sister. So do you remember them, please, in prayer. Now we're just going to get down to prayer. I'll ask our brother Carl, feel opening in prayer and then one after the other, please, do feel very free and pray, please. Keep your prayers brief, but to the point so many can pray audibly. Thank you.